Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a couple of our interesting Harvard Business Review tips. Also going to chat with Christina Gerakaitis about the Hunter Innovation Festival. But right now we're going to talk with Zaya Elliott from Baker Lover Lawyers about workplace policies. Good afternoon, Zaya. Good afternoon, Julian. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome and uh, thank you for returning again. No worries. So, so what is a workplace policy and, and are they mandatory in all workplaces? That's a great question, Julian. Uh, workplace policies, an easy way to explain them is like a set of rules and principles that aim to guide managers and their workforce in the expectations within the behaviour of employees and all staff. By setting rules in writing, the company policies uh, reinforce and clarify standards of expected behaviour for all employees, but they also help employees and staff more effectively uh, manage the workplace by defining what simply is acceptable and what simply isn't acceptable in terms of their behaviour. They tend to deal with ongoing management and administrative issues of the organisation and they act as a bit of a guiding framework and a bit of a frame of reference for how the organisation deals with all of its day-to-day operations and any problems that may come up. They tend to uh, be more mandatory, I suppose, in terms of the legislative, regulatory and industrial codes which may apply to them, some of which will require certain policies to be put in place within the workplace to ensure that those laws and regulations are abided by by employees and also by the employers. So some of the examples of those uh, legislation would be things like work health and safety and, and bullying and so forth? Yes, yes, similar things like that to make sure that you're complying with all of the legislative frameworks around them. Mm. So what are the benefits of having company policies? Well, Julian, don't just take my word as an employment lawyer, but there are many benefits of having a well-written company policy and procedure manual. Aside from often helping employees defend themselves against things like unfair dismissal and OH&S prosecutions or even vicarious liability, policies can really demonstrate that the organisation is being operated efficiently and also in a really business-like manner. I suppose on top of that, they also foster more stability and ensure some uniformity and consistency in decision-making and also the operational procedures that employers undertake. It can be really helpful in terms not only of the workplace and keeping it to be um, quite a cohesive environment, but also in terms of if you wanted to sell uh, the work, um, sorry, the business rather in future. It just shows that it runs well. So you argue that policies are necessary, but in your experience, what actually makes a good policy? Yeah, that's another really good question, Julian. Um, So good workplace policies have a few, uh, I suppose, dimensions which are quite essential. One of the first would be that they really should be explicit, but they should also be written in really plain English so they can be easily understood by all those who will be affected by it. That's employees and employers. A good policy really should be clear and state exactly to whom the policy applies and in what circumstances it does and doesn't apply. Also, it needs to be quite unambiguous in identifying what exact behaviour it's referring to, what's acceptable and what's not with regards to that policy. And one of the most substantial points uh, that makes a really good policy that I find people often overlook is that it should be up to date and indeed updated whenever the relevant law or organisational need or even employee requirements might change. 
In doing so, I would highly recommend that discretion be written into the policy for how the employer um, and also the manner in which they implement and review the policy over time. Of course, that being said, uh, without good communication of the policies, we can't really expect them to be um, well applied or even upheld. Well, that's an interesting point about communication. There may be some listeners that may not be clear on how many of their work policies actually affect them or what the related policies in their workplace actually are. How important is this clear communication of the policies? Sure. So I found from not only my experience of drafting and advising clients on policies, but also in terms of analysis of some of the case law that I've looked into with regards to this, um, it's been revealed that policies really can't be effective unless they're provided and explained to all existing and new employees. Um, This includes casual, part-time, full-time employees, also those who are returning from maternity leave, and indeed independent contractors, and in in many cases students who might come and volunteer at a workplace. So employers really should explain how to comply with all of their policies, and indeed the implications of not complying with them. They need to be informed as to when any policy changes and effects come into place, um, and it needs to be made really clear to all employees. So, for example, in the case law, there was an example of an Australian newspaper provider, um, which in the context of having four employees caught drinking extremely heavily in their midday break, they'd attempted to have them dismissed as they had a policy of zero tolerance on alcohol. However, this was quite a well-established news provider. And over time, they'd allowed the employees to have that sort of behaviour and and drink quite regularly over long lunches, if you like. Um, And when it came to their dismissal being um, appealed by the employees, it was found that because the policy hadn't been effectively communicated, especially to those who'd applied the old policy throughout their um, work experience over the years, they couldn't be dismissed purely for contravention of the new and poorly communicated policy. Mm. So if policies are clear and well communicated, how does an employer go about enforcing them? Sure. Well, one of the main things is to um, make sure that disciplinary policies contain really clear grounds for when they're enforced and how to comply with all of the relevant legislation, awards and agreements through that policy. So generally, they require a use of warnings um, to encourage changes in behaviour for employees so that they can meet the required standards and comply with legislative and regulatory um, requirements. And also a really clear description of when things like summary dismissal for poor behaviour will be warranted by the employer. It's also really important that policies are consistently applied throughout the organisation to all employees and all affected staff. In cases where policies have been found to be inconsistently applied, Julian, we've found that, um, for example, in a Tasmanian case, the Tasmanian Industrial Relations Commission actually um, recommended that final warnings issued to a worker for breach of work health safety policy for protective clothing um, be withdrawn because the company hadn't applied the policy consistently to all staff. So, Zaya, a final word on policies. Well, um, I suppose the final word would be, firstly, get some policies if you don't have them already that comply with all um, legislation and regulations. But when creating the policies for your business or your workplace, make sure it's really clear, it's really easily understood by all who are affected by it. It's communicated to all those affected, both initially and at any point where it needs to be updated. 
and make sure it's updated for that point. Um, and amend them consistently um, to apply with all legislative and regulatory requirements as well as codes of practice. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Zaya. And uh, we'll have a chat with you again another time. Fantastic. Great to speak with you and all of your listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye. Time to pop over to Christine Gerakaitis to have a chat on innovation and she's casting her fate to the wind trying to park in Sydney. Good afternoon. Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. I use the words good a little loosely until I'm actually parked and settled in Sydney. But my, I'm not driving at the moment. I've pulled over. Um, but but let's just say that Sydney transport is a problem waiting to be solved. <laughs> so, so cast your fate to the wind, eh? Absolutely, yeah. And I Anyway, every time I come down here, I wonder why I'm driving. But anyway... Um, yeah, so, so we're going to have a ch- innovation. Well, we're going to talk about the Hunter Innovation Festivals coming up next week and some of the events that are taking place there. That, yeah, for sure. And it kind of unofficially starts tomorrow evening okay. with the um, Hunter Hackfest. So we've got a, a new event happening this year. It's Hunter Hackfest. Uh, so we're casting, again, casting our fate to the wind, I guess, in that respect as well, asking people to come along and solve um, potential problems form diverse teams. We often talk about design thinking and diversification in problem solving. Uh, that will be so we're putting everyone into a team tomorrow night and I'll have all day Saturday to, to work on particular problems. And I think that's really important because it, it's nice to get um, different people involved in projects uh, and, and have one person kind of go, you know what, this is a, this is a problem in our area. Um, so we've looked, we're looking at urban themes, we're looking at smart city themes, we're looking at creative industries themes. Um, so there's a few different themes running through that that, that will um, hopefully result in some um, in some fairly powerful uh, potential solutions. Right, so we, are, we launch. Are they bringing their problems with them or you know, you've got some problems already to discuss with them? I think we have a few up our sleeve. Um, <laughs> but having said that, we're not adverse to people bringing problems um, and putting those on the table for solutions for the Saturday as well. That's what Friday night's all about. So, so you, uh, use the ter- you use the term hack. Is that a word which is becoming more used now? It is. Um, and, and it used to be something that people didn't want to get involved with because mm. uh, if you were hacking something, it was potentially illegal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now it, it's become a common term to, to go, you know, well, let's just hack into it chop it up, see how it how it pulls apart and then how we can put it back together again. So, you know, it fits very well with design thinking for me. The way that the language changes. Absolutely, yeah, so, absolutely. So, sorry, you said we're going on to say the official launch is next week? Is next Tuesday, yeah. Yep. So we've got um, the Smart Ideas Breakfast and I think that event itself is important because what we've managed to do is draw some amazing uh, ideas from people within the region. So we've had a record number of um, entries and the three, uh, the three ideas that are being pitched um, at the event on Tuesday morning are, um, are really good commercial ideas, ready to go, some of them. Um, so that will be an interesting uh, event. And there were some fantastic other creative ideas, and we're going to ha- try and showcase um, some of the ones that didn't get to, mm. to perform it on, on Tuesday. But we've also got Matthew Pinter, who's the chair of the Crowdfunding Institute of Australia, Coming to, he'll be doing the keynote speech on um, at, at that meeting on Tuesday morning at the breakfast. Uh, and I think crowdfunding has become mm. an alternate way to commercialise some activities. You know, whether whether they be books or whether they be big end things. I mean, he'll he's going to talk about you know the the flow hive and yeah. how they raised so much money in such a short amount of time and how the business has just gone through the roof because of a crowdfunding um, 
opportunity. Excellent. So there was there was that, um, and then on on Thursday we're actually having a panel discussion about women in innovation uh, and how diversification of gender, race, um, age is still an issue, and how potentially women still aren't getting. Uh, the positions, mm. the notice, the attention, and the dollars, um, and it's not, and the dollars. That's right, and it's not something like we we're not. It, all males are welcome because there's a lot of female-friendly males out there that are you know that are pushing just as hard to get the diversification of the female on the board yeah. in the in the business in innovation on the team. Is that um, is that a so morning event? Important. No, that's an evening event. Okay, so five thirty in the afternoon. The full program is at hunterinnovation.biz. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's another potentially great discussion. There's if you've got to design a product, there's design to innovation to copyright to IP happening on Wednesday um, at the business centre. And there's um, there's a the Hunter Research Foundation breakfast on the Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, will also showcase a couple of business ready um, opportunities. But also they've got um, Tiziana Bianco from the ComBank. She is the mm-hmm. Uh, the the head the head boss if you like of the um of the innovation lab for okay. the combank she's also speaking um at the at the at the Thursday evening women in innovation and then we're going to finish off with the innovators lunch at the CSIRO so you know a whole lot of different opportunities to collaborate to cross ideas to have mm. conversations and hopefully the festival is a launching platform to continue those conversations, you know, not not just a it's not just a one week worth of events to stop talking. After that, it's a it's a launch pad for to continue conversations all over the place. And for those of our listeners that can't get along, we can talk about it next Thursday and the Thursday after. As we always do, that's right, Julian. So Fant- whatever, if you can't hear it there, we'll we'll definitely give it to you on the radio. Fantastic. Well, you have a have fun trying to park, and uh, we'll have a chat with you next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Interestingly enough, this particular one was dealing with those hackathons that uh, we've just been talking about with Christina. It says, use hackathons to generate new ideas. Hackathons are no longer just for coders. Companies far outside the tech world are using these intense brainstorming and development sessions to stir up new ideas on everything from culture changes to supply change management. To hold a productive hackathon, follow these five steps. First of all, stoke creativity. A short team activity can help participants open their minds. It can be as simple as challenging teams to brainstorm uses for an oddly shaped object. Then, empathise with customers. A promising idea starts with a deep understanding of who your end users are and what they need and why. Thirdly, ask the right questions. Start with an open-ended but clear challenge such as how might we help our sales team interact with contacts more effectively. Fourthly, prototype quickly. Prototyping can be as simple as drawing a product on paper. And then finally, nurture the best ideas. Put resources behind the strongest pitches after the hackathon ends. Certainly sounds like that's what will be taking place in the Hunter next week, doesn't it? And this is an interesting one. Help your employee adopt and learn new technologies. Having employees who understand the latest tools and technologies is vital to staying competitive. But training employees is costly. 
To get the most from training, focused on three important things. First of all, hands-on practice. Active learners perform better than passive peers. It's one thing to grasp the big picture, but it's another to implement skills or new knowledge. Secondly, accountability. To justify the investment, ask your training group what the learning objectives are and how students are measured. Be wary of programs that don't offer rigorous assessment and accountability mechanisms. Finally, breathing room. One of the most common pitfalls of corporate training is not giving employees enough breathing room to complete the training and learn the concepts. It's tough to learn new skills while keeping up with the full workload. Relieving trainees of work duties signals a commitment to an employee's career growth that can reap benefits in terms of long-term employee loyalty. So a couple of interesting comments there, isn't there? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the importance of workplace policies and the Hunter Innovation Festival coming up. In a moment, Greg Richard will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to have a talk about cyber protection. We're going to have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Steve Jobs once said, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower.